0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> I wanted to just let you guys keep going because it just is beautiful to hear everyone fellowship and talk to each other, but I suppose we should get started. Um, so I'm going to go over a few announcements this morning. Um, today there will be a meal, I hear, at Sloppy Joe's, so always a favorite, so make sure that you stay and fellowship some more, and we'll hear more of that chatter, (laughs) and have a few other announcements. So this Wednesday, um, as many of you know, we have been having touch points that you can watch um, via live Facebook, and I believe it's on YouTube as well. Um, And so this week, there's going to be a guest that some of you may not know, She doesn't attend here, but she is the associate pastor at River City Church. And Dean asked me to share just a little bit about her because she's just personally someone very special to me. She's been a mentor in my life, and her name is Suzanne Barbknecht. And she just has so much wisdom, so much richness in the Word and Spirit of the Lord, and I just challenge you to watch that this Wednesday. If you don't catch it at 10 a.m., you can watch the recording later, but she just has a lot of incredible wisdom to share, and I just have appreciated everything she shared with me. She's one of those people that I give to myself as an example to look up to, like, oh, Suzanne is one that I can follow in knowing that she follows the Lord with all her heart, and she's such a good example for that. So watch that on Wednesday. Um, at 10 a.m. there will also be prayer with Judy and Glennis, and then at 11 a.m. they'll have a Bible study, so make sure to come to that. And youth group is going to be at 6 p.m., just as always. Um, And then I'm going to do a blessed life here. For those of you who haven't attended here before, or maybe in a while, there are um, offering boxes in the back, so we don't pass the plate here, but they're in the back there. And so this morning, (sighs) I had something really fun planned, and I was kind of excited because it was talking about time travel, and it was like really cool. But then As I, literally, as I was walking to church, because we live just across the street, the Lord had something different planned. So, excuse me if it's a little scattered, but it's something that um, we shared in youth group, like, quite a while ago, and it's just something that I feel someone here needs to hear today. And so, I might actually have Peter... Come up I'm sorry I didn't tell him he was gonna come up but there's a couple objects here and I realized I might need you to help me hold them so and I like whispered to Peter like during worship I was like I might do this can you find a measuring tape for me so I think in our lives we oftentimes compare don't we (laughs) i know i do i compare myself to other people i compare myself to myself like past versions of myself hoping i'm a better future self and so we often define our worth based on how good we're doing how not good we're doing how we fit into a certain criteria how we think we need to be, um, how we interpret ourselves to be. And so we often look at ourselves like a measuring tape. And so let's say there's a day that we're doing really great. We were very kind. We were very patient. We are, we're going high, you know, we're we're doing great. (laughs) But then let's say there's something that happens in life that, we kind of snap and we just are angry at people and then we just aren't doing the best that we could do and just goes back down. (laughs) And so we use this illustration for youth group to just show the different things in life that we compare ourselves to or that we say that are good enough or not good enough. And so... I think we all could put different things in there, like we could look physically, like how are we doing physically, how are we doing spiritually, how are we doing mentally, and we just continue every day up and down, say, well, against a measuring stick or against a tape measure, how well are we doing today? And I think a lot of times that's how we view ourselves. And so, but, I don't know, many of you might not be able to see this, but this says Jesus. And it's just a little heart that says Jesus. So oftentimes, I can actually hold this one. Um, So the reality is Jesus bought Our worth (laughs) he bought us he died for us he's the one that completely spent his life he paid for us with his life and death and resurrection and so when we think about these different things in life that we're trying to measure ourselves against or trying to say how how far can I go how high can I reach How low do I feel? We can know that Jesus is what's worth it all. Jesus is the one that our worth is defined by. So I guess just think of a few scenarios. Let's say you lost your job. Jesus is your worth. Let's say you have the highest paying job you could ever get. Jesus is your worth. Let's say that you have been doing really well and really kind to the people around you. Jesus is your worth. Let's say you've been having a few stressful days and you haven't been as kind as you should be. Jesus is your worth. And that's not to say that we don't care about those different things that we do or we don't do, but the reality is When we see our worth, our value, our identity in Jesus and who he is and what he did for us, then what becomes to what happens is that becomes more evident in the lives that we live. Whatever we behold, we become. We heard that this last week from a guest speaker. And this idea of Holding on to the fact that Jesus is our worth is then what becomes our actions. And then people are able to see, wow, you aren't caught up in so much despair because this happened to you. And you can say, it's because I'm not worth a job. I'm not worth the affections of others, that's not what I look to my worth for. I am worth the very living God dying on a cross. And because of that, there's nothing that could happen on this earth that could take that worth from me. And so I just want to challenge us to think about that, pray about that. I would have had a lot more scriptures had it not been like this morning I thought to share this but just know that it's because of God's love. I I that phrase because God's love has been showing up for me in different scriptures. I you you can see for yourself if you just like look for because God's love. And that's just been something personally recently that I've been thinking and God's been reminding me of. If ever there's anything that's going on that's really great, really bad, or in between, he says, because God's love, or he'll remind me, because of my love. And so then it no longer becomes because the foundation of this, or because of this, or because of that, but it's because of God's love. It's because of Jesus. And so let's pray for our offering and tithes today. Lord, I just thank you so much for your love, for doing what you did for us, for dying on the cross, for rising again. I thank you for redefining our worth, not based on anything we do or how our achievements or how great or how bad we are, Lord, but because of your love. I thank you so much for just your financial provision in our life and that even no matter what the bank account says, Lord, that our worth cannot be defined by money, by fame, by people, but it can only be defined by who you are, and that is love. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Oh, praise the Lord, we have a spirit of celebration continuing in this building this morning. You can feel it, you can sense it. God is a God of celebration. He's not a stingy old man sitting in a cramped, stuffy room, ready to smack you on the head. Nope. This morning I want to talk a little bit about prayer, <clears throat> maybe in a little different vein than you've, you've heard it, but um, Dean asked me several weeks ago, well, I guess 11 days, less than 11, 11 days ago, would you speak? And I said, oh, yeah, probably would be okay. Then I realized we had company about the whole time. And then I got thinking, you know, I've had 50 years to prepare for this, so it shouldn't be a problem, especially with the Holy Spirit inside of us. John 14, 26. I am using the King James Version, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. I want you to put in your memory bank that phrase, uh, that he will teach you all things. I want to look a little bit at the word comforter. If you go to your Amplified Bible, it amplifies the word comforter and gives us The sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit to the believer. This ministry of the Holy Spirit is for us here on earth. Okay? Holy Spirit is God's agent on earth for the believer. And uh, the first one is Comforter, of course. And we could spend the entire sermon on these. But I just, I'm going to just go over them quickly because I'm laying a foundation. First off, he's your comforter, he's your counselor on earth, he's your helper on earth. You don't need help in heaven, he's your intercessor on earth. You don't need our Jesus, is your intercessor in heaven, he's your advocate on earth. Jesus is your advocate in heaven. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus in Hebrews. He's your strengthener, and he is your standby. He's ready to jump in, help you when you need it. Okay. So, with that laid, you understand that there is all this potential of the Holy Spirit in your life. And if we look at Romans... Uh, 8.14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Uh, I believe some, I, I think I heard one time that a guy said, these are the mature sons of God. Women, you're a son of God. It's a title. It gives you kingdom authority. Dean pointed this out couple weeks ago. In the spirit there is neither female or or, or male. If it bothers you that you're a son of God, it should bother me that I'm the bride of Christ. Okay? I mean (laughs) so we're even. Okay? The bride was carrying the groom yesterday, wasn't she? Whoa. (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen with Jesus. No. (laughs) But anyways You can expect to be led by the Spirit of God. You can expect this. I mean, it's not an exception like, Oh, back in 1983, God said, and he led me specifically. No, it should happen every day. And the whole thing about being led by the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to use this as as a reference to it, is Romans 8.16, 8, 16, I didn't give Herb this one. I gave him three verses. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. A lot of times, you're going to be led not by a voice of audio, uh, auto, uh, how would you say it, a voice that you can actually hear, you know, in an audible sense. You're not going to be led by dreams, visions, Um, angelic visitations. Some people are. But I've come to a conclusion. The people that I know personally that have had these spectacular visions, you know, Technicolor, they're called into a hard ministry a lot of times. I mean, it's like, if they didn't have that vision to kind of kick back on, they would like, nope, I'm not going through with this. So be thankful if you don't have dreams, visions, and technicolor panoramic views of of all these things because that means you're a child of God being led by the inner witness. I can tell you, I've been a Christian for over 50 years. I've had one vision, never did figure out what it meant. But it was cool. I had my eyes wide open. I was in high school. I don't think it was pizza. It was was just like, hmm. Never have figured it out. But I can tell you, every day, there's a certain amount of leading in my life. And what that is, is, is that inner knowing that this is what you should do. So don't go running after, you know, angels. There's a lot of these mystics today. They're going to heaven and they're, they're killing dragons and all this stuff. But they come back to earth and their life is a mess. And they ain't accomplished anything for the world around them. But they sure sound spiritual. sounds like Dungeons and Dragons or something. I don't know. I never played the game, but that's what it kind of reminds me of. But the verse that I want to look at is an all-time favorite, Jeremiah 33.3. 3. So we establish the Holy Spirit's got a lot going on for you, that he leads you, and he leads you by this inner witness. And we have this verse in Jeremiah 33.3, 3, which is, call unto me. And I will answer thee and show you great How about small, no, great and mighty things which you do not know. Yeah, stick that one in your pipe and smoke it if well we don't smoke because we're Christians, but <laughs> I don't smoke it. Yeah. But anyways, think about it. He will show you great and mighty things that you knoweth not. We used to sing that song back in the good old days at our charismatic get-togethers. And I've always liked that. Well, there was a man, like, for example, with Esther, she was called into a specific time for such a time as this to stop... um, the slaughter of the Jewish people. Well, I believe God raises people up during certain times. I'm going to look at a a man that would be, uh, at the turn of the hour, would have been about 1905 was when he started to do a lot of his work. The man was Was George Washington Carver. Um, There is a book on the internet, on YouTube, you can listen to it. I believe it's uh, How to Hear God. But there were some things that he said and things that he did that I thought, you know what, they're worthy of looking at and considering. Um, Let's go back to 1905. Southern agriculture was in a dismal state okay, the land had been totally wore out from just growing one crop, and one crop only, which was cotton. There were about 5,000 sharecroppers. That was their only livelihood, and the harder they worked, the less they got. On top of that, because the plant was so weak from the poor soil the cotton weevil came in and destroyed much of the crop. So all these people were suffering. And the harder they worked, the further they went behind. So George Washington Carver, I believe, was raised up by God to go into this situation. But there were some qualities about him that I kind of enjoyed looking at and... and uh, I'm going to share them with you. The first thing about George Washington Carver is he got up at 4 a.m. in the morning and he would walk in the woods with God. I don't know if it was two hours. I'm not sure. But he spent time with God. You can't get answers from God unless you spend time with him. Curious thing, you know. But it's true. So, as he was spending time with God, he realized that crop rotation was going to be one of the things that was going to help turn things around. Okay. Well, the crops that would help build the soil again were like uh, black-eyed peas, peanuts, and I believe sweet potatoes. Well, if you're a sharecropper and you're working sun up to sundown and you're growing a crop that there's no market for, does it make any sense? No. And especially if it isn't your land. I mean, come on. You expect me to work for nothing to build your land so I can starve and you can prosper? No. So the problem was money. Which is a lot of people's problems. And George Washington Carver had to go to God and say, God, how can I create, how can we create a market for the peanut? And we'll, we'll, we'll find out why it was the peanut. So he went to God, and God gave him over 300 inventive ways of using the peanut. I think he held patents on most of them. So there was a solution. And we're going to go further into that. But today I want to challenge you. Are you facing your own crop failure? Are you looking at your own land drying up or soil depleted? And the harder you work, the further you get behind? God's got the answer. You've got to spend time with him. Here are some of the quotes that I think are very interesting. He said, I love to think of nature as an unlimited broadcast station through which God speaks to us every hour if we only tune in. There was a man that used to come to our church on occasion. His name was Dave Duell. He was a wild man. He really was. You know, <laughs> but he, he's uh, always shared this, well, he didn't always, but he shared this story that always stuck with me, and it was about a gentleman who he was talking with, and he said, you know what, I never, ever hear God speak to me. Born again Christian, spirit-filled. And Dave Duell said, well, what do you do for a living? he said, well, I, I'm a salesman, and I drive, you know, a lot from place to place, do presentations, take care of accounts. And he said, so you're probably driving many, many hours a day. And he says, yeah. He said, I want to challenge you. Get yourself a legal pad. Put it by your, your, you know, by your lap. Back before we had all the phones and stuff where you could record. And he said, turn your radio off be quiet and drive and see what God says to you. So, the guy did this. Dave saw him 2 weeks later and he had a full legal pad. God is always talking to you. He's talking. Yeah, we're just not listening. It's like it's like a I guess it's like a broadcast, you know? He's he's putting it out, but we're we don't have our channel at the right spot, you know? We're at CBS instead of, you know, Holy Spirit Central. But, anyways, know that God is always talking to you. Here's another quote God is going to reveal to us things we never, that things He never revealed before if we put our hands in His. No books ever go into my laboratory. The thing I am to do and the way of doing it are revealed to me. I never have to grope for methods. The method is revealed to me the moment I am inspired to create something new. Without God to draw aside the curtain, I would be helpless." That's a fascinating statement for a guy who is an actual scientist who uses deductive and inductive reasoning and was trained. He was a trained scientist. Can you imagine that? Oh, no books. He's not the only one that did that, you know. Einstein did that too. He sat at his chair in his desk quietly. But anyways... The thought is, God will give me an inspiration. God will give you an inspiration. Let's talk about that for a moment. The inspiration you get, first, it needs to be uh, compatible with the Word of God, supported by the Word of God. Number two, the peace of God needs to be uh, fully in place with it. The third thing is, and this is <laughs> this brought me back to something I read, like in 1970 something. I think it was Basham wrote a book on the whole of uh, "Take Another Look at Guidance." Has anyone ever read that book? Okay, he had the three harbor lights, which you guide your ship with, and he said. You need the Word of God, you need the peace of God, and you need circumstances. But circumstances never right fit. Because circumstances come and go. They change. But the method thing he's talking about, God will give you an idea based on his Word, and you have the peace of God flowing in you, and then you get the method or the way to complete it. Start looking for those things in your life. Anyways, so here's another quote. As I worked on projects which fulfilled a real human need, forces were working through me which amazed me. Holy Spirit is our helper, He's our energizer. I would often go to sleep with an apparently insoluble problem. When I woke, the answer was there. Why then should we, who believe in Christ, be so surprised at what God can do with a willing man in a laboratory? Some things must be baffling to the critic who has never been born again. I was young. When I was young, I said to God, God, tell me the mystery of the universe. But God answered, that knowledge is for me alone. So I said, God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. I think this was long before he, you know, walked into this situation. That's why I believe he was raised up for that time. Then God said, well, George, that's more nearly your size. And he told me, first, separate the peanut into water. Fats, oils, gums, resins, sugars, starches, and amino acids. Isn't something how God is so specific? Not general, Specific. Then recombine these under my three laws of of compatibility, temperature, and pressure. Then the Lord said, you will know why I made the peanut. And again, call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Now, taking it apart, putting it together. I don't even know if that was in the scientific realm at that point. No, I guess it would be like reverse engineering, right? Only changing certain factors and, oh, you know, that's so what we came up. Anyways, no individual has any right to come into the world and go out of it without leaving behind him a distinct and legitimate reason for having passed through it that kind of stings a little bit. Especially, you know, I'm going to back up just a notch here. For you young people, that's kind of cool. Because you're young. But when you've kind of worn the tread out on your tires, and the odometer has hit a lot of large numbers, and you kind of go, I can coast. I think it's a good time to coast. That's where I kind of would like to be. I'd like to coast, you know. But you know what? God didn't make us to coast, you know. So if you're kind of, what is it? Proverbs call this white hair, (laughs) hoary-headed. If you're getting up in age where you know, the old saying is your back goes out more than you do. Um, <laughs> God's still got a purpose for you. Right? And for young people, don't throw it away. God's got a purpose for you. Remember George Washington Carver was young. When I was young, I said, God, show me the mysteries of the universe. Wow, can you imagine? That would be a mind blower. Anyways, so we don't have a reason to pass through this life without making a difference. And sometimes I think we think that these, these uh, exploits, may I call them, we think they've got to be huge. But you know what? They don't. Not necessarily. We just got to be obedient and do the little things every day. Every day, every day, every day. You don't know which life you're touching. You know, the old story goes, there's a story about Adolf Hitler. There was a Presbyterian, I think it was a Presbyterian evangelist went into this small church. There were three people in the congregation. He looked at it and said, it's not worth my time. What if... Just saying, what if he would have presented the gospel and Adolf Hitler would have committed his life to Jesus Christ? Wow, would have changed history. But that was a small thing, right? How about that little kid that you feel inspired to walk up and give him a dollar and say, how you doing? You know, have a great day. I remember acts of kindness that my neighbor's extended to me growing up. I remember words. You know? Some of them were good. Some of them were bad. (laughs) But little things, words we say, actions we do, they all add up. They add up in this whole thing called life. Okay, back to another quote. Most people search high and wide for the key to success if they only knew the key to their dream lies within. Now that sounds a little hokey like, that's a little bit of New Age there. But remember 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost who's living inside you. Hmm? Who's inside you? Are you the temple of who? Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. And we saw in John what he brings with him. You know, God is not a bum. He don't come into your residence and lay around and expect you to do all the work. No, he actually expects you to go sit down and he takes care of things. Um, in Revelation, I believe it's 3.20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Okay, that's written to the Laodicean church. That has nothing to do with the initial salvation experience, although it works. But in the Middle East when someone's knocking at your door and inviting themselves, they bring the food, they bring the, the servants, the whole thing. That's what Jesus is saying. Hey, open the door up. I'll come in. We'll have a party. It's on me. It's on me. So, Holy Ghost is inside of us. He's given us gifts. I mean, the celebration has begun down in our hearts. Just when I was walking out the door, I wrote down this little combination of Scripture. There is a treasure hidden in your earthly vessel. And then the next verse came to me. To to whom God would make known, what is this mystery among you? You know what it is? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, Christ in you is the hope of what is glory. I always thought heaven. Heaven. Glory is God's manifest presence. So, if you want to manifest God's presence, you've got Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ready to get out. I like the illustration of when... Um, Jesus was on the cross and it was finished. And it was like at the temple, the curtain was rent in twain. It was like really thick, four to six inches, 30 feet from the top to the bottom. It's like God was ready to get out of the box, the holy of holies, and move out into humanity. And you are the one he's going to do it through. Mm. Okay, so. George Washington Carver goes on to say, 99% of the failures come from people who have the habit of making excuses. You guys don't do that, Right? do. Me either. No, <laughs> I'm a good excuse maker. Well, if only I had this in place and da-da-da-da. Okay. So George Washington Carver says this simple thing. And this is a principle. It's very scriptural. You'll find it in James. Works without faith is what? Dead. Dead. DOA Dead on arrival. He says, start where you are. I've met a lot of people that had really cool dreams, but they had to have this before they could do it. Start where you are. Because you're no other place, right? Make something of it and never be satisfied. Start where you are with what you have Make something of it and never be satisfied. Do what you can with what you have and do it now. Boy, he would have been a good motivational speaker. There's a quote that I want to read from Miles Monroe. We were fortunate in that we we got to spend about a week over at Strawberry Lake, and we listened to Miles Monroe every day. Tremendous book salesman. I walked away with most of them. (laughs) I don't know if I read all of them, but I, I have them. I had them. Maybe I gave some away. I don't know. But anyways, here's a quote that I think is worth looking at, considering. It's called, The Wealthiest Place in the World. The wealthiest place in the world is not the gold mines of South America or the oil fields of Iraq and Iran. They are, not the, they are not the diamond mines of South Africa or the banks of the world. The wealthiest place on the planet is just down the road. It is the cemetery. There lies buried companies that were never started, inventions that were never made, best-selling books that were never written, and masterpieces that were never painted. In the cemetery is buried the greatest treasure of untapped potential." Who is the potential in you? Christ in you. So there's no lack of, what would you call no lack of inspiration. He's in you, and he wants to get out. I want to look briefly in conclusion. I always hate that when people go, in conclusion. And then they go on for 20 more minutes. Ain't going to happen. I'm not going to in conclusions you more than once. If I do it twice, you can throw hymnals at me. I want to consider Paul for just a moment, and this is very quick. Paul was rising in the ranks of the Jewish religious orders. I mean, studied under Gamaliel and all this stuff. I mean, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And then he had this little experience on the Damascus Road where Jesus came to visit. To he had a come to meeting Jesus, come to meeting with Jesus. That's all they used to say it. Anyways, kind of ruined his career as a Jewish Pharisee. And he was despised, hated, and they wanted to kill him. Well, the Christians didn't really care much for him either, you know, because he just got done killing Stephen. So what were his options? <laughs> you know? And and I mean, I'm really slacking this or cutting this story short and trimming it, but his options were to go to the backside of the desert, the Arabian desert. And he spent 14 years with God. His writings changed the world and are still read today. Can you imagine that? Of course, we know they're inspired by God and filled with the Holy Spirit. He did write the Word of God. But here's here's the thing he started with where he was he was in a hard situation george washington carver was in a hard situation too he was basically born a slave he made something of it by spending time with god he was never satisfied he was always pressing always pressing Sometimes he said, man, it'd be better if I died. I wouldn't mind dying, but for your sake, I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to keep on. He was never satisfied. He was always pushing forward with the gospel. And since I promised you we'll have no more inconclusions. conclusions that's it. Today. If God's put something in your heart, start. Do it. To the old people, I exhort you. I guess they call, they say, I'm old too now. But to the young people, you've got an incredible future. We'll pray. Father, we thank you that you care about us. We thank you for the spirit of celebration in this room. Lord, have a celebration in our hearts. We ask for inventive ideas, creative solutions. We know that we can trust you for you are absolutely who you say you are. You are the problem solver. And you are a good, good father. In Jesus' name, amen. So be blessed. Joes.